Hey, y'all, it's Mandy. Before we talk about this week's episode, I want to say shout out to the patrons. Y'all are the reason I'm still doing this. I could do it alone, but it's so much better to run with people who share your vision, share your values, and see the importance of the work you're doing. So if you're interested in all the premium content, hearing about the questions and answers, or even being a part of our live patron chats, check out my Patreon. It's under at Mandy Capehart, or you can search for Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart and find it that way. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 61, titled A Vehicle for Grieving with Emily Johnson. Emily Johnson published her first book, Birds of Paradise, in early 2021. A week after the death of her mother, Emily found a letter from her mom that included an unfinished manuscript. And in the eight years that followed, Emily finished her mother's manuscript, allowing her story to intermingle and bring healing to the surface while she worked through all of the complicated heaviness of the grieving process. Her story today is one full of drive, compassion, and a renewed perspective about living with a lifelong illness, a dying parent, and what life can look like on the other side of active grief. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Hello, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me today. I was so excited when we first connected to hear a little bit about your story and just what brings you to a podcast about grief. So why don't you take a moment and just introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay. Well, uh, my name's Emily, and I am from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I live here with my husband and my seven-year-old, who's incredibly crazy. Um, by day and profession, I'm in marketing and advertising, and I've been doing that ever since graduating from UNC Chapel Hill with a degree in journalism, one day at a time. <laughs> well, degree in journalism is after my own heart because I have a degree in journalism as well. And so I think it's always special when you find people who've taken that degree and turned it into uh, writing books, which is a little bit of a pivot. <laughs> um, and, and that's what you've done. You've written a beautiful book called bird of paradise. And it wasn't just a novel that came out of nowhere. What, what inspired the book, Emily? Uh, well, yeah, it was really my mom's book. Um, the, the long story behind it, uh, when I was 13, which was more years than I care to admit. So I'm not going to reveal that. Uh, my mom's diagnosed with breast cancer. And, um, I remember, you know, when my parents said, if we, you need to sit down, we've got to talk to you about something. And just hearing that, honey, I have breast cancer, just put my life on screeching hold. All of a sudden you're, you're all, you're feeling, facing the fact that the people that you thought were invincible may not be invincible anymore. Um, and my mom caught it early. She caught it through a self-exam. So, you know, made your PSA to do your, your monthly exams there. Um, and you know, the, the saying that she got through it with, with very little complication, you know, cancer is complicated, but she did radiation. She had the tumor removed. She went on. Um, but then a few years later, after several tests, she got diagnosed with late stage ovarian cancer. Um, you know, and statistically you don't survive that it was stage four. It had spread, um, you know, and, and she just, she was this amazingly strong person. She just said, no, I am not going to be a statistic. And there's just, you know, no way around that. So she found some doctors that looked at her as an individual and not as a statistic. And she said, you, 
you better, you know, make it so that I'm there to watch my daughter walk down the aisle. And at the time I was 15. So that was a really big ask. Um, and she went through, you know, setbacks and I think eight or eight reoccurrences, you know, just when we thought things were, were going, you know, in the right direction, she'd get bad news again. Um, her reoccurrences and surgeries always seemed to coincide with my final exams in high school and college, um, which made them even more fun than they normally are. Um, but she had been an educator for years. So it was very, very often that she'd be in her hospital bed with my textbooks and my notes quizzing me um, to make sure that, you know, her cancer did not impact my, uh, you know, my life academically. Uh, she was there to see me walk down the aisle and, um, you know, which was amazing. And her doctors were there too at my wedding. And then unfortunately in 2012 and Christmas, she passed away. Um, it had been nearly 17, 18 years that she'd been battling cancer on and off and her body just couldn't handle you know, the years of chemotherapy any longer. It actually wasn't the cancer in the end. Um, but that was a very long background into this book, Bird of Paradise. When she was diagnosed with the ovarian cancer, she began writing this book. And for years, she just wrote and wrote. And I'd ask her all the time, what are you writing? And she said, you'll know eventually. And I'd ask to read it. And she said, no, you know, not until you're ready. Um, and then about a week or so after she passed away, I found a letter and the envelope had her unfinished manuscript. And in the letter, she asked if I would finish her story for her. Um, and that's kind of how it came about. So my mom and I, um, in the end, co-wrote this book together. I never really intended to publish it. It just kind of happened very unexpectedly, um, but it's the gift of a lifetime. What a remarkable, process. Most people, you know, they, if they have this book dream inside them, write it, sit with it, never do much with it, let alone finish it. And so <laughs> to, to leave something on your desk, so to speak in such a big and significant way, what was your gut reaction when you found that letter? Um, I mean, I instantly started crying. Um, there was a lot in that letter. Um, she clearly knew in advance where things were starting to go. Um, I don't think to her anyways, her passing was a surprise. It happened very quickly, which, you know, if it's going to happen, it's a blessing. You don't have to watch somebody suffer through the end. Um, and I think she was in control of it. She knew exactly what she was doing when she wrote that letter. And actually quite a bit of that letter appears in the book. Um, and in, in woven in through the story, um, cause it was so special. And I, I just, felt like it fit well into the story. Um, I think she, you know, this book really, it's a work of fiction, but it was really a letter to me, um, you know, telling her life story in a way through the fictional characters, leaving the little bits of advice that you want to pass on to your children, but never knowing if you're going to have the chance to do it. Um, there's a lot of conversations in here that I remember having with my mother that she, you know, put in there as little Easter eggs that no one else would know that they were real. Um, and so I think, you know, that was her intention with this. And then I think she left it at a particular point. I remember her, she stopped writing altogether at one point. And I think she did that intentionally. Um, so in the end, it's, it's about a 50-50 collaboration. Um, between what I wrote about that black and white line and what I had to go back and, and add into her part of the story to complete the story arc and make it a cohesive um, one book. <laughs> so. 
So what is the premise of the book? It's a letter to you. It's fiction, but what's the story of Birds of Paradise? It is, um, it follows kind of a decade long journey of self-discovery of the main character, Ariana, um, and how, you know, she navigates the coming of age through being a senior in high school. And when she's right on the threshold of womanhood in that scary place where you're ready to move forward into this next phase of your life, but you don't know if you're quite there yet, or if you've got, you know, the, the tools to navigate it. It's that everybody has gone through that one point in life where you just don't know if you're ready to advance. And then it follows her and how she has to find her way in the world as a young adult. Um, and, you know, through life's greatest tragedies, you often find, you know, life's greatest beauty as well. So it, it kind of goes from a coming of age family saga. And then as she gets older, it begins to morph its genre into a romance. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it's so hard to explain kind of what the book is. You kind of have to read it because it doesn't really fit one particular category. And, um, and I like it that way. It was not written for a particular audience. It was written, um, both my mom and I wrote it for ourselves because this was a way of continuing a conversation with my mother. You know, I, I got the chance to co-mingle our words and to listen to her words on a piece of paper and and the story really, you know, it took me eight years to finish. So for those eight years, it was like closing the chapter on that part of my life with my mom. Um, and, you know, it's, it is, and, you know, now it's an ongoing conversation. Uh, it was a very emotional journey to get through it. Um, a lot of, you know, sadness, a lot of um, guilt in places, um, but I was able to work through kind of those typical emotions you have after losing someone through the writing in the book. You know, there's a very strong narrative of telling grievers that journaling is the way to move forward. And it's not true for everyone. It's not true for a lot of people. Um, the same is true with reading, grieving and reading often do not <laughs> go hand in hand <laughs> because grief brain is so intense and so difficult. So when you say it took eight years to finish, I, I, unequivocally believe it took a solid eight years to finish. Yeah. It did. Sure. And, you know, in those, in those eight years, I changed careers. I had a baby, yeah. um, you know, and so there was a few distractions in there, but it, you know, I, I had to put it down at some points because it either, it hurt too much or I wasn't ready to finish it. Um, Cause I knew I was still in a, in a place of grieving where I wasn't ready to move forward yet. And so I kind of, you know, this, the book kind of, um, I, I almost through it, you can almost see my process of healing um, from that black and white line where I took over completely. Um, and it's, you know, and I, I guess I can look back and read at it and remember I was in this stage and how I felt um, and use it almost as a roadmap for those moments where I still feel grief, because that'll never go away. Right. And, and to clarify too, for anyone listening, grief and grieving are different things. And that's something you discover as you start moving through the process, as you start experiencing those feelings and asking big questions, like, or begin rewriting and, and finalizing a manuscript that's been left for you. Um, so I'm curious, knowing that there was a mm -hmm. week of time between losing your mom and finding the letter. What was your, um, 
what was your thought process in that week prior the anticipation if you can recall of what you would be carrying before finding such an incredible vehicle to process your grief through you know it's it's funny that that instant I, I don't know i mean grief is different for everybody and that grieving process and the loss of a loved one and two days before we put her on life support, or I guess the day before we put her on life support, she and I, I spent the night at the hospital and she and I had this amazing conversation, which was one of those conversations where you don't really talk about anything significant, but everything you say is what you need to say. And so I think I was prepared for this long before it happened. You know, we didn't dwell on the cancer. We didn't dwell on the fact that it could come back at any moment. But my mom also in a way made sure that I was very prepared for the fact that, you know, at some point I could lose her. And, you know, obviously everyone's gonna lose a parent, but at some point, you know, it happened a lot earlier for me than a lot of people. Um, so I, I did, I was prepared, but I was in shock. And so that week afterward, you know, you've got, you've got to call the banks, you've got to call the credit card companies. My father, you know, is still here with us and, and you know we really leaned on each other family was in town so you're so focused on other things that it doesn't hit you for a while um and oddly enough and I I don't know if it was divine intervention or what it hit me the morning that I found the letter um where all of a sudden the family goes home the casseroles have stopped coming you know people have to start moving on with their own lives and all of a sudden for me anyways, that's where it became real. And it was that day that I found the letter. Um, and I think, you know, then I was able to read what she had written and that took up time. And I read it over and over and over again, um, which was comforting because I could hear her voice. And that helped me get past that, you know, past that first week and into the weeks that were coming. Um, but it's certainly the week in between, it was just, almost like I felt nothing. Um, cause I just, I, I just couldn't let myself feel anything at that point. Um, and it, it's, um, it's surreal in a sense. I hope you know how relatable that is. I'm sure you've had lots of conversations with people, but mm -hmm. I have found, and the same was true for me when my mom passed away as well. The week right after her death was so practical and so efficient and so reasonably like logical in the steps that needed to be taken, there was, you're exactly right. No room to do any of the feeling, no room to do any of the grieving or the active intentional movement around what has just happened in our life. I, you mentioned that you are a mom now, and I'm curious if the way that your mom prepared this gift for you, Knowing full well, of course, you're not, be, I assume, not dealing with a massive diagnosis like your mom was. Has it changed how you approach parenting? Um, you know, I, I think definitely, um, you know, I, if I could be half the mother my mom was to me, I feel like I'm successful. Um, you know, parenting in general, um, I think I, I ended up getting pregnant about a year and a half after she passed away. Um, and being a mom without your mom here when she was that person that I relied on to guide me, you know, through, through life, um, has been very scary. I mean, it's, it's one of those, my son coughs and do I take him to the emergency room? Do I call the doctor or is it just a cough? <laughs> yeah. Um, that yes, would have been good question. to my mother, you know, and, 
And there's been times where I have picked up the phone to call her and then realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, she, I can't. Um, and so, you know, but I think one of the things about this book that for me is so special as a mother is that she left her legacy and her voice in the book and I got to do the same. So there is a lot of me and what I wrote that I hope my son will be able to go back to and hear my voice, you know, when I'm gone. And I don't intend to go anywhere anytime soon, but you know, it's, you never know, you know, and, and even if I'm a hundred, when I pass away, you know, this is still going to be there for him. Yeah. What was it like as a child, as a, as a teenager, recognizing that your mom had such a stubborn, resilient streak in her to say to a team of physicians, I have one of the least survivable cancers out there, change history. You have to change history for my future and for my kid. What is it like looking back and, and recognizing that that's the character that you have to pull upon? How does that change what you do going forward in your life? You know, it's, it's, it's inspirational. Um, I think her having that um, attitude when I was a teenager, having that um, serene ability to say, I'm not going to worry about anything until there's something to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and her, both my parents and their, you know, just nonstop, you know, efforts to ensure that my life was as normal as possible. I mean, I, I had the gift of having, you know, weeks and months and sometimes even years where I never even had to think of the word cancer because my mom just did not dwell on it. In her mind, she was not terminally ill. She was just dealing with, you know, a long-term illness that, you know, sucks, but, you know, what are you going to do? Give up? You know, it's just, you let the cancer win at that point. Um, and I think, you know, the, the thing for me that hits the most is that I have learned that I'm not invincible. You know, I, I, I'm high risk now for, for cancer. Um, my mom was BRCA gene positive, so she was almost guaranteed to get breast and ovarian cancer. There's, I think it's something in the 90 percentile or something like that. Yeah. I don't carry the gene. I got very lucky. I got tested. I don't have it. Um, but you know, it's still there. It's in the back of my mind all the time. I'm very well watched. I do tests every six months versus every year, um, and started them long before most women need to get them. And so I think that's probably one of my mom's greatest gifts is she taught me that I needed to be in control of my own health and that I needed to watch out. And if something did not feel right, I can't be afraid to speak up. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that is the thing that I try and pass on to my son is it's my responsibility to make sure I'm here for him and to do everything I can to make sure that he has his mother for as long as he possibly can, because that's what my mom did. She wanted to make sure she was here to see all those stages of my life. And, you know, while I'm not okay at all for the fact that she's not here for these new things, like becoming a mother and, and hitting, you know, and in, in, in new phases of my life. I was old enough when she passed away to where both my dad and I were going to be able to handle it. Yeah. Um, losing her as a teenager would have been, you know, so much more devastating long time. Grateful that she was stubborn as she was. Um, and she did that for me. And, and my son, God forbid this happens, will be that, that bright star for me as well. Yeah. 
So now that that book is published, it's been out for a while. Is there another book on the horizon or where does this grief story continue to be told for you? Um, you know, it's fun. I have an idea for another book um, and it is actually um, part of Bird of Paradise. It's telling the story of the parents. This is a very close knit family. A lot of this, the family saga part of this is really this um, almost idyllic family, but it's so based on my family. And by telling the story of the parents, I can go back and, and continue that conversation with the mother because um, I don't know for sure, but the parents in this book are an awful lot like my parents, <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and the high school boyfriend, unfortunately, is a lot like my high school boyfriend who clearly my mom does not like, but um, good information later in life to have mom. Gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah, totally thanks could have saved me the heartbreak then. <laughs> you could have saved me months of wasting things. I uh, hope he's not listening, but, um, <laughs> I, you know, and, and, and for me, doing that would almost give me the chance to talk about my dad and to, you know, have his story almost, um, in this. And, and cause he does feature heavily, I can tell in this book and various characters, but I think it would be really neat to go back and focus on them and their relationship, um, because it would fit with the back, the little bit of background my mom gave of the parents in the beginning of the book be a really easy there's an entire trilogy there a yeah, second book about your be. father a third book about your core family and your son that could be an incredible an it incredible could, yeah. legacy to continue on your own behalf I I would love to be able to get it out of my head and onto the computer I've tried several times but I've been so busy and it's just you know you sit down and you try and I found out all this because I am not a narrative writer. I'm in marketing and advertising. And that's, right. you know, you say what you want to say and you go on. You don't get to be descriptive and narrative. And so I found that sitting down, you know, some of it did not come naturally to me. And I just sit there and stare at my computer for an hour. And I learned over the course of these eight years that when that happens, you have to get up and walk away. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, this book is like 570 pages long. I don't have that wow. in me. There is no way. Um, but, you know, a novella or, or something, you know, that, that's, that makes a complete story. Someday I have every intention of doing. Yeah. Writing a book is not necessarily the answer for everyone. What are some other things that you have seen in your time frame in this loss period of loss after losing your mom that you would recommend for someone to carry them to, to be like a focal point for their loss? You know, for me, it didn't work going to grief counseling. Um, I'm too, despite what I've been doing with podcasts lately, I am not one to usually open up about things. Um, I think you know, when my mom was alive and probably right afterward, I didn't want to appear weak. I wanted to appear strong for everyone else around me. Um, and that's a dangerous place to go as well. Um, you know, and I'm kind of getting away from your question, but it's really, I almost don't know, you know, what list of things to do. It's just going to be what you feel is individually right for you. And, and just because you pick something doesn't mean you can't say, oh, wait, this is not working for me, or I need something else, you know, to focus on. I need something else to move myself forward. It's a growing process. Um, and I'm 10 years out and I'm still, you know, still finding that I need you know, new things. I mean, I finished this book and all of a sudden I was like, well, now what, 
you know, it's, it's now, you know, and so now, now my focal point is getting to share my mom's story, you know, not just the book, but her backstory and continue her legacy. So I think it, you just, people need to forgive themselves if they don't know how to grieve because you just have to let the process happen. What you described was the sense of knowing yourself that is really required or becomes forced upon you when it's time to reckon with grief, because we've got these, like you were saying, we've got this idea that we're all um, very driven in our own way, right? Like the type A, I can control the outcome. I can control the appearance, how I look. That perspective is so normal. And for some types, that is the go-to to survive that onslaught of grief. For some types, withdrawing into themselves is the way to survive and to work mm-hmm. through grief. And at the end of the day, any bit of introspection, introspection that you do reflects who you are and what will move you forward. And so for you to find that becoming embodied and moving your body and engaging with the health of your physical body, even moved you through writer's block, that is an awareness Mm -hmm. that creates new vehicles for you. So even though the book is done, that knowledge and of self isn't gone. It doesn't, it's Mm -hmm. no longer, it's not like it's no longer applicable. It's actually more applicable now than ever, because you're going to encounter other grief events. Now you have this vehicle and this mentality of what you can move into to survive those big moments. And so I think what you answered in that question was reminding people, guess what? There's no list of things you can check (laughs) off to say, oh, good. I can try this. That didn't work. I can try this. That didn't work. It really is becoming aware of yourself and who you are and how you move through the world. And so I think you answered it beautifully process. I mean, it's just, and that's the thing, something amazing about publishing this book, you know, it's wonderful to see the sales and the reviews and, and it gives me, you know, the warm and fuzzies, but um, it's the people that have reached out that have experienced something similar of losing a parent or growing up with a parent um, that has had, you know, a a terminal illness or having it themselves. I mean, that even more so than the book is the legacy my mom has left because it's just, it helps to hear that you're not alone through the process. And it helps to hear that, you know, it's, it's, it's never going to be okay, but you're going to make it. Um, it just becomes a different way of doing things. And 10 years out, I can look back now and look at the gift she left me um, and not necessarily the sadness of her loss. Yeah. Well, Emily, I am curious if there's one last piece of what you've carried through your grief story um, what would you share for our listeners? One last little bit of like, I grabbed this and I can't let go of it kind of a thing. Something that always sticks out in my mind of a period that I went through with the grieving process. And it's something that, you know, I've talked a lot about to people is the guilt. Um, and that's something that I is is so detrimental in my mind to the grieving process because it doesn't help you move forward. It keeps you stuck in this black place. And, you know, when you feel guilty about things, about things you said to the person that really at the time, I mean, I I had my typical teenage moments where I was a complete, you know, pain in the rear. I admit it, you know, everyone does that. And then I felt this guilt, you know, (laughs) 20 some odd years later of something I said to my mother. And I've got stuck in that endless, you know, boot loop of that. Um, and it took me writing this book and being able to talk about 
moving yourself forward and things like that um, really got me through this. And I think, you know, it's not necessarily a positive thing to leave your listeners with, but knowing that that is a phase, if you want to call it a phase that you have got to get yourself through, because on the other side, in my mind, that is where you heal. Grief is at the pinnacle of that mountain that you've got to get up and once you can, or, or guilt, and once you can get through that guilt, you're going to, you're getting toward the light of being able to do it. And, and just don't let yourself feel that is so, such a bad place to get. And if you can't work through it, it's, I had a lot of hard time with that. And so I hope that maybe my story and experience can stop people from doing that same thing. Yeah. I think guilt is one that, uh, I I think feeling it is okay. I think feeling it long-term as the end, all be all emotion is the detriment. I think because there's something guilt is telling us like it's a secondary emotion, much like anger. It's pointing us to something deeper that really just needs our attention. And kind of to your point that finding a, what works to help you experience and move through it so that you're not walking in guilt constantly, but when a feeling of guilt rises up that you can pause and ask yourself a question that is compassionate, that is curious, that is Mm -hmm. caring towards self to say like, well, wait a minute, why would I feel guilt? Oh, well, because I said that thing and it probably what hurt their feelings in the moment. Okay. It didn't cause their death. It didn't end everything right then and there. It didn't change how they felt about you and, and recognizing those, um, moments of distorted thinking about guilt and how we Mm -hmm. impacted people. I think that's actually a really powerful thing. So don't sell yourself so short. That is an incredibly (laughs) important last moment to end on. Uh, Emily, your book birds of paradise is available. I know on Amazon, and then you are active on Instagram and Twitter. Is there anywhere else that uh, you want people to come and reach out to you if they want to talk about your beautiful Um. work? (laughs) <laughs> well, I've got my website, emilyjohnsonwrites.net. Uh, that's rights with an S. Um, and there's a lot of pictures of my mom on there. I wanted to share kind of that, that story of the two of us because um, we were so close and a lot of more information about her and kind of who she was as a person and more of the story behind the book. Um, and, you know, I, and for people that want to reach out on social media, I'm, I'm more than happy, you know, to answer questions and to just talk to people. I love interacting with people on social media. Um, so, you know, just don't be afraid to reach out. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Emily, for taking time just to stay on the podcast today and tell your story. And I'm looking forward to reading your book. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. And I, I hope you like the book. Thank you for listening to episode 61 of Restorative Grief. Emily repeated something crucial multiple times that I want to drive home once again. Grief is completely unique to every single one of us. The way we experience our losses and find movement forward through our grieving process is as individual as our DNA. So getting to know ourselves inside and out, knowing what makes us laugh, cry, what activates our rage and what softens our frustration is where we begin to learn what type of vehicle we may find useful in the grieving process. I know many of you agree that journaling is a terrible practice for you, (laughs) while others will swear by it. And to be honest, I'm in the middle. Some days it's great and other days it's useless. Writing isn't always the answer as much as I would like to say, but 
as you continue to listen to the podcast, I do hope you will be able to start taking notes about your own characteristics and what resonates with you. The whole purpose of the show, as you may already know, but just as a reminder, is to help you find realignment with who you are in your whole self, mind, heart, body, and spirit. Doing so is going to help uncover a vehicle that helps you. And I can't wait to hear what you come up with. So please let me know. Reach out through the show. You can always find me on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Make sure you subscribe. You can leave a review and maybe share something that moved you or that you've learned. And definitely share this episode with someone you know who might benefit from the concept of finding an appropriate vehicle to move through grief in their own life. Thanks again to my patrons. I am so grateful for you and cannot do this without you. And one last thing for everyone. Remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.